Several weeks ago, we had a church member uh, at, at the hospital LSU in Shreveport, and Josh was over there one day in the hallway, probably being a nuisance in the hallway, and all of a sudden these policemen came, and followed by them were uh, doctors, look apparent doctors and nurses, pushing a man on, on a stretcher. And they were telling everybody, clear the pathway, clear the pathway, move out of the way, get against the wall, get out of the way, get out of the way. And Josh said, just looking at this person on the stretcher, that it was obviously someone that was critically injured and that they were in a real rush to get this person to, to surgery right then. And clearing the pathway was a key thing that they needed to do to speed that process up. This morning, I want to talk about clearing the pathway in our relationship with God. You know, next Sunday morning, we're having a one-day revival. And we talk about revival. If you've been in church much in your life, you know, a revival, we, we've, we've heard about it. And what is a revival? A revival, by definition, is Christians getting right with God. A lot of times we think a revival is a multitude of people becoming Christians. That's, that's a result of a revival. That's called an awakening. But a revival is when God's people get right with God. And and folks, every person in this room, starting with me, certainly, first and foremost, we need to, to be on a, a trajectory where we're continually getting better and, and closer to God. And the key to that, a huge key to that, is clearing the pathway of the obstacles that are in the way between you and God. We're going to look at three big things this morning, and I'm using several different scripture passages. So, if you did well in Bible drill, you can keep up with me. If not, uh, write these down. You can look them up when you get home. But let's start with number one, something that blocks the pathway with God that needs to be cleared, and that's this. Who do you need to forgive this morning? Who do you need to forgive? If you were in our church this last winter, January and February, I did a six-part series called The Forgiveness Factor, and two of those sermons were on forgiving other people. Honestly, I'm convinced that once a month we probably should have a sermon on forgiving other people because, as far as I know, none of you live in a, a, a isolation or on an island by yourself. You come to church, then you're by yourself all week. We all interact with people, and we get hurt by people. We get stepped on by people. We hurt and step on people. And this is such a crucial, crucial, crucial subject. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, some of Jesus' words that really, that, boy, these hit to the heart. He says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Now, now, guys, most of you know the Lord's Prayer. This section comes right at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Ironically, the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives extra commentary to is this. There probably is a real good reason for that because we struggle with this so much. He uses the word sin, to sin be sinned against. Now, it's interesting. This word can mean a willful, intentional, hurtful act. It can mean an unintentional hurtful act. It can mean someone purposely puts it to you. It can mean someone hurts you and they don't even know that they have hurt you. I'm convinced a lot of us are mad at people today. They have no idea that, we, that we're mad at them. And the only person that hurts, by the way, is who? 
and the only person that hurts is you. Some translations, English translations, uses the word trespass here, which is a good concept. To trespass, we understand that in our society. If you, you have property and you have a fence up and you say, we'll shoot you, you know, got a mean wife and a bad dog, you cross this fence, you're in trouble. Uh, to trespass means to go in someone else's property. And people trespass Maybe not on our property, but in our lives all the time. They cross boundaries that they shouldn't cross with us. They hurt us. We understand that. That's part of life. You hurt people, I hurt people, and people hurt us. And it's what we do with it that's so huge. Now, these words, very importantly, were written to Christians. This is not telling lost people how to come to Christ. This is telling saved people how to live. Now, if you're not a Christian... This is part of our, our who we are. When he says forgive, literally he means to send it away or to dismiss it, to be done with it is what he's saying. Now, forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. To forgive a, a, an ex-spouse who has been abusive, who's cheated on you multiple times, doesn't mean you go back and remarry him. If you're dating someone who is abusive and cheats on you, you should forgive them and break up with them. Find somebody else to be with. If you've had to fire an employee who's lazy, who's stolen from you, uh, you should forgive them. But you would not be wise to hire them back. There's a huge difference in forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two people willing to get right. Forgiveness takes you and me willing to do our part. What will it take you and me to forgive people? How many of you have ever seen a children's sermon in a church before? If you haven't, we, don't, we have a kid's worship. So we got 70 kids over there right now throwing down for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? They are having a great time. And they're not disturbing you. Isn't that good, parents? Uh, but a children's sermon, I've seen it. We, I've done it before. You, you get it. You know, the preacher sits down. He takes his coat off. You know, he's being contemporary. And he, uh, he, he gets all the kids come and gather around him. And he tells some cute story. Well, in this particular church one day, not this church, but the church I'm talking about, the pastor's six-year-old daughter was part of the group, and he's talking about forgiving other people. And he goes into a story about, he goes, the, the lady at my house where I live who washes clothes. See, women, that's how it's supposed to be, I think, isn't it? Forgive me for that, ladies. I was just teasing. But he said, the lady at my house who washes clothes ruined my favorite T-shirt. It's my favorite T-shirt. It's got the university I love on it. It's one I like to wear around the house. It's the most comfortable shirt I have, and she ruined it. Why should I forgive her? Without missing a beat, the six-year-old daughter raised her hand. He thought, my, my daughter's fixing to say something spiritual, theological, and powerful. And he said, honey, why should I forgive her? And, and the little girl said, because you're married to her. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. Those of you who aren't married, marriage is no guarantee of forgiveness. And all God's people said, amen. Sadly, that's true. Let me give you a little hint. You are never going to have a good marriage if you are bitter and hateful towards your spouse. Are you married to a jerk? You may be, but you married them. What about your own health? I read this last week in Men's Health Magazine that, that this doctor, these studies said that men who hold on to bitterness are 64% more likely to develop heart disease than those who let things go. So here's two things right now. 
for your marriage, for your relationships, for your heart. Forgive. But let's talk about you and God. Hey, Christian, listen to me for a moment. I'm going to say this a lot today. You can't do God on your terms. So that's what we try to do. We try to do school. We try to do sports. We try to do our business. We try to do the community. We try to do everything on our terms. That doesn't work well most of the time. You can't do God on your terms. If you decide as a Christian, I am not going to forgive that person. Okay. Psalm 66, 18. Listen to what it says. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Let me, let me translate that, what that's saying. He's saying, if you make a decision or I make a decision, we're going to hold on to a sin. Unforgiveness and bitterness is sin. We decide we're going to hold on to it and not let it go. Guess, guess what? You can do it. You can do it. But God's going to make a choice not to hear your prayers. Wow. You see... It's impossible for me to be in good fellowship with Christ and be unforgiving towards you. So is it worth it today? Is it worth holding on to that bitterness, that unforgiving spirit? Is it worth your relationship with Christ? Is it worth your prayer life? You find out this week that someone you love is an ICU. You want your prayers to reach Christ, your relationship with God to be full and effective. Whoops, there were my glasses or something. Uh Uh-oh. Y'all just look the other way for just a second. Okay. Hold on. Okay. If you want your relationship with God to be flat, just don't forgive. You see, one thing that's going to block your relationship with God, one thing that's going to render it ineffective, is an, un, uh, an unforgiving spirit. So I want to ask you again this morning, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Secondly, what do I need to repent of? Maybe bitterness. Maybe an unforgiving spirit. What this morning, repent means to confess it and get it right. What, what are you, what do I need To repent of. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3, way over in the Old Testament, listen to what it says. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. Here's what was going on. The children of Israel were in trouble. Their enemies were pursuing them. They were being defeated. And they were saying, God can't hear us anymore. God doesn't have the ability to help us. God's not helping us. And God says back to them, hey, pal, nothing wrong with my bicep. The problem, God's saying, it's not with him, it was with them. It says iniquities, to forgive your iniquities have separated you from God. The word iniquity means depraved behavior. These Jewish people were profaning the Sabbath. They were guilty of idolatry, worshiping false gods. They were vile, adulterous. They were guilty of injustice against other people. They were gluttonous. 
God wasn't tired of them asking. God was tired of them sinning. You see, we can't live as we want to and expect to be in a right relationship with God. We don't write the rule book. You know, I've heard for many, many years, I've heard people say, you know, I pray and I feel like my prayers bounce off the ceiling. And and I always want to be careful when I respond to that, but sometimes that's true. Sometimes our prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Because God writes the rule books, I don't and you don't. And God says, when we're upside down with him, when there's something in our life we're not getting rid of, it renders, again, our prayer life ineffective. Many years ago, there was a Dear Abby column. I don't know if any of y'all ever read. You probably did. Dear Abby was kind of a, uh, a sage in the newspaper. And this man wrote in, and he literally what he wrote in is he said, I'm a married man, and I'm having an affair with two women. I live in Ruston, Louisiana. No, he didn't say that. Some of you go, "Uh uh-oh. And he said, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. P.S., don't give me any of that morality stuff. Now, dear Abby was not an evangelical conservative right-wing Christian, but her response here was great. She writes back, dear sir, The only thing that separates animals from humans, or one thing, is morality. You don't need advice from me. You need to talk to a vet. (laughs) You see, almost everybody in here wants a prayer life. We want a relationship with God. We want that pathway clear, especially when we need something or when we're desperate. But you you don't want to be... Confused or clouded with the God talk and the, the, the God information. But there's no way I can be right with God if there's something in my life I'm not getting rid of. What is it in your life or my life this morning? Are you a gossip? Are you having an affair? Are you a single person who's sleeping around or sexually active? Do you cheat people in business? Are you just mean? Isn't it interesting how meanness is an accepted Christian sin? (laughs) You know what repentance is? Repentance is a 180. It's I'm going this direction, and I I realize it's wrong, and I turn around, and I I change courses. It doesn't mean you're still not going to struggle in that direction, but it means if I want to be clear with God, I've got to make a choice of the junk in my life And God's putting his finger on some of your hearts right now on some issues. You and I have to make a choice with the help of God to confess that and repent of it. I want to ask you, is there any sin worth holding on to that's going to keep you from God today? Several years ago, there was a website. I don't know if it still exists. It was by a young man named Jesse Jacobs. And it was called the Confession Hotline. It was a website, but it gave you a number. And what you could do is you could call this number, and you got a voicemail, and you could confess your sin. You could confess your hatred towards someone else. You could confess a sin. And many people were doing it every week. And, you know, there, there, it was just a blank message you were leaving. I don't know about you. I'd be kind of uncomfortable leaving my sin on someone else's uh, voicemail there. But 
people were doing it. And, and Jesse said, well, that way people don't have to go to another person to get it right. Or they don't have to go to God. They can just kind of get it off their chest. And I'm sure there is some kind of psychological value in that. But here's the bottom line. If you want the path clear with you and God, you've got to go to God. People tickle me, and I know they tickle you, and they, they pray, and they go, Oh, God, if we have sinned, forgive us. Friend, leave the if out. And what God's putting his finger on in your life this morning, be willing to confess it and repent of it. If there's someone you need to get something right with, be willing to go to them or do whatever you need to do to make it right. If it depends on you. N- number two, what do you need to repent of? To clear that way with you and God. And number three, what do I need to do? I'll explain this a little more in a second. Maybe it's forgive somebody. Maybe there's some big time repentance that needs to happen in your life. But I want to give you three sub-thoughts with this. What do you need to do today? Maybe there's something specific. And I believe everyone in this room... To some degree, all these things and all these next three things, to some degree, one of these is going to hit you. Maybe number one, today you need to believe and be saved. You need to believe and be saved. Great story in Acts, Acts chapter 16. I want to read it to you and you can read it with me. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, they were, they were in the church that night. They had the key to the building and they were... No, they were in a nasty prison dungeon doing this. And the other prisoners were listening. I think they were listening for a couple of reasons. Like, why don't these idiots shut up? It's midnight. But probably, my goodness, these guys are praising God in this prison. It says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, let me explain that real quick. If you're a Roman soldier guarding prisoners back then, if the prisoners escaped, you know what the penalty was for you? It was the death penalty. Your prisoners got away, you died. So he just said, hey, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well go ahead and save them the, the sword and kill myself. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he asked this question. He brought them out and he said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. Now that guy's household wasn't going to be saved by his decision. But the jailer's household, they lived there at the prison. What he was saying basically was, get your family, and if your family, if you will believe in Christ, you will be saved. Now, I want to ask you, just for one minute, then you can go back to sleep or whatever you're doing. Will you look at me for one minute, for one minute? Some of you this morning, there's something in your heart that's missing. You've been sprinkled, you've been baptized, You've joined a church. Maybe you're a religious person. Maybe you're here and you're not religious at all. Something's missing. And God's trying to put his finger on your heart this morning. And here's what it probably is. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. I've never done a scientific study on this. I'm going to someday. But here's what I believe. I believe that 95% of the people that come into a church on Sunday morning... 
and they get saved on that Sunday morning at that church, I believe 95% of those people came in not expecting that to happen at all. I don't think they were getting dressed that morning and go, you know what, I may come to church and get saved today. I think they came in and the Holy Spirit hit them and they realized they were not saved. Is that what you need to do this morning? Some of you, that's what you need to do. There's too many people here today for that not to be true. Here's the second thing. Maybe you need to come back to Jesus. You're a Christian. You believed. You've been saved. But, but the bottom line is things with you and God are not like they once were. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Listen to these powerful verses. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand, your church from its place. Here's what was going on. These, this is Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. We know from the New Testament, we know these people. Now listen, these people were religious. In this passage, God commends them for their being orthodox. They're being true to the scriptures. But he says, you are, you are right in your theology, but your heart has grown cold. Your love for me and your love for other people is not what it once was. And that you need to remember, you need to be mindful continually how things once were with you in Christ, and you need to have a change of attitude and a change of conduct, and you need to come back to Jesus. I wonder how many of us this morning that's true about us. That we used to be on fire for Christ. We used to serve. We used to give. We love church. We love the people in our church. We love telling people about Jesus. But that's grown cold. And for some reason we think, well, we've just matured. That's more younger Christians. No, younger Christians a lot of times have it far more right than those of us who've been doing it for a long time. And who are you blaming it on? The music, it's probably your Sunday school teacher is my guess. Obviously, the head coach gets a lot of shots. Maybe it's me. By a mirror, that's tough. I'm sorry. You see, when I move away from Christ, there is a thousand reasons. I'm busy, I'm lazy, you've been mean to me. But the truth is, when I move away from Jesus, young people, it's not your mom and daddy's fault, even though they have a lot of influence on you. It's your fault. It's my fault. I want to share with you a quote. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. It's a great quote from an old pastor, Pastor Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis many years ago. His name was R.G. Lee. Listen to what he says. If you've ever been closer to Jesus than you are right now, you've backslidden. You've moved away from Christ. You see, we used to think backslidden mean, well, they hadn't been in church in two years, and they're at the bars all the time, and they're, they're, they're a meth head, whatever. Backslidden, you can be in the middle of the church and away from Christ. I want to ask you this morning, Christian, will you come back to Jesus? Clear that pathway. 
Will you love him and serve him and live for him like you once did? Some of us, that's the thing we need to do. Here's the third thing. You need to obey Jesus on that specific issue. Now, I'm going to tell you, explain that more in a second too. John 15, 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus was too direct, wasn't he? <laughs> you are my friends if I do what I command you. W.C. Fields was an old-timey comedian many, many, many years ago, and he was funny, funny, kind of grouchy guy. And one day he was, he was sitting in a park, and he was looking through the Bible, and he was flipping through it, and there was a kid watching him. And the kid thought it was odd the way he was treating his Bible. And he said, what are you doing, sir? And W.C. Fields said, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> How can I get around obeying God in some of these areas? What's God putting his finger on you on about this morning? Maybe it's something we have brought up, forgiving, coming back to Christ, being saved. Others of you, my guess is, is that you came in here today and you've been wrestling with something. It's been something on your heart, something on your mind. God's had his finger on you on that issue. And you need to obey him. And until you obey God, you're never going to move forward. You see, obedience is a prerequisite to fellowship with Christ and discipleship. You can't go around it. You can't go over and under it. You have to obey God. What is it in your life this morning? Maybe God's calling some of you to be a foreign missionary. And he's calling you to leave and, and eventually go somewhere a long way from here. Maybe God is calling you to stay right here in Ruston, to dig your heels in and make a difference here. Maybe God's telling some of you, yes, you're a believer, but you need to be baptized. Or maybe some of you, he's saying, it's your billfold. You need to turn over to him. Or it's your service where you need to be serving. Or you're in a marriage and you're wanting to get out of it, but you don't have that biblical reason. And God desperately wants that marriage to work out. And you need to Dig in your heels and say, with the help of God, I'm going to make this thing work. Some of you are dating somebody that you don't need to be dating, and you need to, you need to obey God, and you need to get out of it. Because as long as you keep playing with it, you and God are going to be running in place. I want to ask you this morning, what's God putting his finger on in your life? And what will you do with it? Here's another great quote. I'm not sure who said this, but that God has no favorites but he has intimates. You know what that's saying? When it says, for God so loved the world, that means each individual, and that God loves us all the same, but God has people that he has an intimate relationship with. And it's not based on your color or your IQ, it's based on your willingness to obey him. How many of you, don't you want to be intimate with God? What do you need to do this morning? You know, that situation I told you about with Josh earlier, it, it really was crucial to clear that pathway. Life, life and death were what were being dealt with. And this morning, your spiritual health, maybe the spiritual health of your family and your kids, 
It's dependent on you being willing to do whatever you have to do to clear the pathway so you and God can be at one. Will you do it? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I believe with all my heart God is speaking to you. If you'll listen, will you do what he's telling you to do? Will you obey him this morning? Will you obey him? And if you're not a Christian, today is the day, today is the day to settle that. Would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And today... I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand. Man, I want to challenge you today to do whatever God's telling you to do to clear that pathway. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. Are you ready to do that? When we stand, would you come? There will be ministers down here. We can help you with that. Maybe the thing God's touching your heart about today is that It's time to join the church. You need a church family. One way you can join when we stand, you can come and minister will help you with that decision. Come and do it today if God's leading you. Christian, maybe today you need to leave your seat and come to the altar or come and pray with a minister. But to say to God, I'm coming back. I'm going to forgive. Whatever it is I need to repent of, God, today I'm going to do it. Let's stand. The choice is yours.